0: A reading from the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses one through nine. At that very time, there were some present who told them about, told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Thank you, Ryan. Well, I, we went to Houston this weekend and sometimes I try to incorporate a joke into what I'm going to say, like, but I just didn't find a joke in, in this passage. So I'll just tell you a joke that Ryan told me. I have a space pen. I got a space pen at Space Center Houston. It's pressurized. The ink cartridge is pressurized so that you can write with it upside down at any angle. And I was really proud of it. And I, uh, I showed Ryan and he was like, do you know what the Russians call a space pen? And I was like, what? And he goes, a pencil. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, Americans, we spend a lot of money to make a pen work in space at any angle. When a pencil always works in space at any angle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I still am proud of my space pen. Uh, so we got dumped in our reading We kind of got Dumped into the middle of a story that's going on uh, Jesus is He's been teaching He's been healing He's been um, Gathering his followers And because we're in Lent We know that he is headed towards Jerusalem And towards the cross um, And so He's starting to try to Motivate people, I guess. Um, I got this deck of storytelling cards. It was like for making presentations. And it was really interesting because I could look through the deck of cards and all the techniques. And I was like, I think Jesus is trying to make a motivational speech. He's using all the motivational techniques. Um, so I think he's trying to motivate people as he's getting ready to, um, die on the cross, uh, and leave essentially. And in this story, there's some kind of scary keywords or words that we kind of assume that we understand the meaning of, like repent, perish. Um, in my Bible, the heading is the parable of the barren fig tree. Barren is kind of a loaded word. And so as I was thinking about what exactly like repent means, um, I think that often we think repent Means I mean, sin management, uh, in fact, the lectionary readings for today are an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading about, um, encouragement to be a moral person, encouragement to live a certain way, um, to not get drunk, to not be an idolater, all these things. Um, and we've talked before about how, like, yeah, that's almost the gospel of sin management. That's what it feels like, um, repent meaning like turn away from things you used to do but what are you turning toward um, and as I looked at this story and I thought about the word repent um, I came across another meaning which is to see things differently so to repent could mean to see things differently but in the actual text of the story we don't know for sure what Jesus wants them to see differently and so I started to back up and I was looking for a thing that Jesus was telling them to do, so not something that he was telling them not to do, um, but what was he telling them to do and I had to back up all the way this is uh, the be- this is at chapter thirteen. I had to back up through chapter twelve and back up through chapter eleven and get all the way to the story of the Good Samaritan before I saw anything that Jesus was telling them like to do like what are you turning toward? What are you going to see differently? Uh, and what he says at the end of chapter 10 um, is that uh, we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's talking to the lawyer who asked him, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, do those things and you will live. Uh, after that, working forward through chapter 11 and chapter 12, what I noticed was that a lot of the things he explores in those chapters are the things that stand in the way of us uh, loving our neighbor and loving God. Um, Things like money, building bigger barns for our money. Um, Things like looking for signs, things like being afraid or uh, trying to guard our reputation, worry, trying to provide for ourselves. and it's interesting, in those two chapters, he doesn't heal anyone and he doesn't tell any agricultural parables. He tells all parables that relate to people. And so he says, you know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you'll live. And then he gives us lots of examples, uh, like the man who's rich and who um says, Oh, what, what will I do with all of my extra stuff? I will build bigger barns. And then immediately, you know, he builds bigger barns and then he's his life is taken from him um so it's almost as if jesus is trying to say love people and love god then he's explaining all of the things that get in our way and by the time we get to chapter 13 this is the first time people respond and they kind of are like all right we get it so what you're saying is like they're listening and like we get it what you're saying is there's these you know if Somebody dies, life is short, and if somebody dies, it's probably their fault. And Jesus is like, Whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. Let's back up there. That's not what I meant. (laughs) Um, he backs it up to kind of say, uh, I think you're misunderstanding me. And he goes into a parable about a tree, which is interesting because A lot of times, like I said, he hasn't done any agricultural parables in the two chapters. And it's interesting because a lot of times when we hear a story about other people, who gets really judgmental and feels like doing moral comparisons when you hear a story about other people? You kind of like start guarding yourself and saying, well, I'm not like that. Well, I didn't do something as bad as this person. And so to get them out of that mindset, Jesus breaks in with an agricultural parable which in some ways is easier to understand and easier to like take yourself out of if that makes sense like you don't see yourself as much in it um so some of the things that Jesus says get in the way of loving god and loving other people are money religion um reputation uh and i think that by the time we get to 13 what he's saying is that we need to see these things as passing. He's saying, you know, life is precarious. And so we need to pay attention to what we're investing in because not everything that we invest in will last. Um, and so in the, in the parable, he talks about how, you know, the man who grew, um, who planted the fig tree is looking for fruit. Um, he's looking for, um, something to come out of what he's done and, um, he doesn't see it. And when you're putting those two things together, that life is precarious and that there are things that we can do with our time that give value. There are things that we can like grow in our lives, um, that give value. I think what Jesus is saying is that there are things that you can do that are not ultimately going to bear eternal fruit, right? Like you can give your time to making more money, That's not going to bear eternal fruit. You can give your time to building up your reputation, but that's not going to bear eternal fruit. What bears eternal fruit is loving God and loving people. Um, Which, yeah, I like that. As I was looking at the parable about the fig tree, though, like who, how do we see ourselves? Are, Are we like, if we're in the parable of fig tree, who are we in the parable? If we see ourselves in the parable, are we the gardener? Are we the tree? Are we the soil? Thoughts? My thought has always been been or what I've always understood it to be was that we're the tree and if we don't bear good fruit God's gonna cut us down. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't seem quite like uh the Jesus that we know, the Jesus that puts emphasis on loving people. Doesn't seem like the kind of Jesus who hangs an axe over your head and is like, bear fruit or else I'm going to cut you down. Um I wonder if we're the soil. I wonder if Jesus does not want to see us giving uh, our resources to things that aren't going to bear eternal fruit. I wonder if he wants to take out of our lives anything that pulls our focus away from loving God and loving people. Um, In the parable, the soil is actually given a lot more care than the tree. The soil is treated like a precious resource. Um, When the gardener says... Give the tree one more year. He doesn't say, let me go ahead and fix the tree. He says, I'm going to invest in the soil. The things that he says, like dig around it and put manure on it, which is like fairly typical. We grow through suffering, right? (laughs) Through manure being put on us. Uh, and he says, let it alone. Let me enrich the soil. And then we'll see next year if it bears good fruit. And if not, you can cut it down. Uh, and I wonder if there's some grace there in that Jesus is saying, I want you to give your time to loving God and loving people. But he also is gentle with us, and he's not just running through our lives with a machete hacking down everything that we do that's not fruitful. He gives us time. Um, he gives us space. And then if something is not ultimately bearing fruit, He takes it out so that we can bear actual fruit, so that our resources aren't wasted, so that our time isn't spent doing things that won't last. Um, After he tells the story, I feel like this story is kind of the middle bit. After he tells these stories, he goes and he goes to a synagogue and he heals a crippled woman. So he heals a person who did not have money, who did not have usefulness, uh, who had been waiting a long time, who did not have reputation. And he puts, like, he puts into action what he's been saying. He's been saying, value people above money or value people above reputation, value people above religious rules. And then after he says everything, he actually goes and does it. And the Spirit of God comes and heals the woman. And it's like a testimony to all the things that Jesus has been saying uh, that the woman is more important than religion, the woman is more important than his reputation. Um, That's one reason that we can trust Jesus, because he's not someone who just says, everybody value people, and then goes off and values money. He actually. Puts into practice the things that he tells us to do. Um, What is comforting to you about this story? what's challenging? Anybody? Challenging?
1: No. I mean- Um, I think what I find challenging is just the, like what you've highlighted about like Jesus not being into reputation. Um, I don't, I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. So that was challenging for me.
2: Uh, similarly, I think, I don't know, it's challenging. It's reorienting. The, I really appreciated kind of digging back before this story to examine what is Jesus asking them to do, loving God and loving neighbors, and how that is, that is what we're turning toward, and that it, it is, um, to perish or uh i don't know i I guess part of what i'm wondering is or in part of what feels right or challenging is like to it diminishes us to pursue riches or reputation or you know what whatever um aims that we might pursue other than loving our neighbors well and loving god well that that and that's essentially that's what i hear jesus saying is like that if you follow these paths, it diminishes you um, and so turn turn away from what diminishes you and what doesn't work, and turn toward what does and what what causes you to flourish, uh, loving your neighbors and loving god and so i I think I'm challenged just i I'm challenged and comforted by the the reorientation like for all of my temptations to worry about money or about what people think about me or whatever like oh no i need to i just need to love my neighbors well and love god and that will uh bring life yeah
0: yeah like the word perishing we use it like you know get your sin it's almost like repent or perish get your center under control or god's going to strike you down and it's more like turn to these life-giving things or you are going like perishing you're going to diminish it's not i don't even know if it's like a literal death so much as like on the inside you are not going to flourish um and after this life you're not going to flourish you know
3: it's okay. Here. Um, I think it's interesting. Like Charles comment had me thinking on this idea of like perishing or flourishing. And I, I know for me growing up, the idea of like perishing would be like, because you're not with God, right? Like you are not a Christian or you, you haven't done the right things, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's interesting here. And maybe one of the things that could be challenging for us to think about that, like, you i'm trying to think how i want to say this like you could still be turning towards things that are flourishing without having necessarily identified like god as the force behind it does that make sense right and like simultaneously you could also perish while saying like oh i'm doing god's will or i'm a christian or whatever you want to be that like you know they're just because you have certain language doesn't mean that you are automatically in a flourishing state or a perishing state. Oh.
0: Yeah, like when we go back to the end of chapter 10 uh, and when Jesus is saying, um, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The story that he tells, right, is the good Samaritan where the good Samaritan who doesn't have any of the labels is the one who is flourishing, and the people who have the religious labels are the ones who are perishing. Uh, and that's exactly it. Any other thoughts that do not fit into the comforting and challenging categories? Observation
3: things you hate about the story. I mean, I can you know, open it up for that.
4: Yeah. It's something I've been just reflecting on. I appreciated you saying, uh, early on that, um, another definition of repent is to change your mind. Uh, and I really like that. I've been just sort of sitting here, sort of like turning that over in my head. because so I think a lot of times, or maybe the functional definition I've had of repent um, is to acquiesce, to say like, oh, this, I'm going back into the fold or I'm not going to do this or I am going to do this. And so it's really interesting to think of repent as to change your mind or to see it in a new way. Um, because when I think about it that way, I think I've done, you know, a lot of repenting in my life of seeing things one way and then seeing that with new eyes or changing my mind on something into sort of to, to, then I was just sort of like turning over, you know, various scriptures with repent in it and, and sort of like putting that definition or that lens over the top. And I was like, wow, that's. So yeah, that's, I, I don't have a deeper conclusion than that, but that's kind of been something that really struck me from today. So thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah, I like that. I didn't, I went back into the Jesus story. I did not look at a bunch of other definitions of re, or verses with repent in the Bible. So that's kind of an interesting. I'm, I'm curious to go back and see how that applies. That definition applies. Yeah
2: uh miles i'm digging what you're saying um a lot of the focus of my theological work in the last two or three years has been the cultivation of alternative theological imagination for god and imagination the the metaphor of imagination is is about sight um it's about what you see right what you can see with your mind's eye, and I'm just having this cool little, you know, I, I don't know, um, cross-connecting moment about how the language of repentance can be connected to imagination, uh, that repenting is reimagining. It is seeing, to see something differently is to shift our imagination. The way that you did when you were like, what for the soil and not the tree? Whoa. Anyway, that is all.
0: Yeah, and I have no, like, I, I couldn't find anybody else saying we're the soil, so I could be totally wrong about that, but I thought it was really interesting. I was like, the soil is treated with great honor in this story. You know, Jesus shows great care towards people. I wonder if we are the soil. Wow. No, no you're fine. <laughs>
3: I think that's really interesting Charles to then talk about repenting as reimagining because then there's like so much grace to me in repenting, right? Like repenting is not something because like, "Oh, you're horrible. You're so wrong. Like you're such an awful person. You should say you're sorry or whatever." It's more that there's so much grace of that like I I have the opportunity to think things differently. I have the opportunity to try again, and and that's like so healing too, right?
4: I, I love, thanks for sharing that, Charles, and, and I am enjoying like this kind of thinking through this because similarly what I was gonna, what I was thinking about is, as you were talking, Charles, is I think so often I see repent as like, or my past definition of that has been to like, return to a narrow way. Um, like there's a narrow band of repentance, uh, or, you know, and that's to realign yourself with that. But what if repent means to expand your mind to the breadth of God's love? And it's not a restriction, but an expansion. <laughs> Miles,
0: I was having that same thought. I was thinking about the class that we did with the Ballards and how beautiful it was to expand our understanding of God's love for everyone, not just uh, maybe the traditional normative values that we grew up knowing in church uh when we were young and i think that it's a really beautiful picture of repentance coming to understand god's view more and opening our mind to understanding a little bit more of her
2: his love for all of us so i love that
0: sorry
2: i'm sorry here no 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 probably not it's not my worthy i mean just i mean i'm just getting caught up in the wonder of it like what It just feels like such good news like if if repentance is this expanded imagination that that repentance is not um uh sin management or behavior management or 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 guilt and shame kind of get me in line it is it is awakening to the unbelievable goodness and expansive love of God. Like it is, it blows our mind rather than, you know, narrowing it and restricting, restricting it.
3: I'm kind of sort of picturing, um, I don't know, almost like, like imagining like your vision being really restricted and then over time, like bits and pieces of that chipping away to where like you see more and each time you see more, it's kind of like, oh, wow, I, I haven't seen that before. That's really cool. And then you think like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe I can see all this. And then you uh, almost like you kind of think there's a limit, but then like it keeps chipping away and then you're like, whoa, there's even more like what? Like, that's kind of the picture I have in my head.
4: Yeah, I was gonna add. I'm like slow motion, having my mind blown as we're like unpacking this today, and so I'm just enjoying processing together. But you know, Bonnie, thanks for for sharing your thoughts. And I was kind of framing, you know, similar thoughts in our our view of you know homosexuality and same sex relationships in the church. And you know, I had never viewed the word repent in a positive light uh, in our relationship with the LGBTQ, uh, population in the church. Like I'd never, like when I think about like what it meant to repent in that dynamic, in that relationship, there weren't positive things that came to my mind. And, you know, if, if you had told me like in your views, it's time to repent, I would have thought of that of like returning to an older narrower way of where I was, you know, in, in decades gone by, And so now I'm thinking of what that means to say I repent in terms of I have broadened my view. I have repented to open my eyes and change my mind as to certain things. And, uh, boy, that's an interesting thing.
1: Um, I, like, I, I say this, like for myself, like just identify some thought process I've had in myself. So not, this is for me more than anything, but like, like, like this idea that like, uh like we do have the opportunity to repent, like we do have the way, the opportunity to like change the way we think about things. And like lately, like uh in some relationships, you know, it's like, oh, like whether it's politics or whatever, it's like lately I've been challenged um that like about my closed mindedness, like my attitude, like, oh, that person's never going to change or they're like. And then, like, I I feel myself like caught out or reminded that, like, well, like I know, like over the past fifteen years, like I can think of numerous ways that, like, my way of thinking has changed, like that I have repented of certain beliefs or you know ways of thinking, and so like, and I like I in and, and so like, it's just a reminder to me that like, if we as believers think that like Jesus can come into our lives and change us, and we have to continually be open to the idea that like the people around us are going to change or could change and like um they could reimagine things right and so like like that challenges me it's been challenging me to think about people like with maybe a little more patience um you know in love in maybe dynamics where i really don't want to um a really cheesy, silly example of this is like Sarah and I watched two episodes of Love is Blind last night, season two. And, um, like over the course of, of, of the, over the course of like two episodes, like you see this guy, you know, move from like a really superficial, like perspective to like dealing with some of his like inner demons or whatever. And like, there's this part of me that's like, well, maybe it's just convenient for him to have a, have a, like a good, turn about right it's like it's going to come off way better um on national tv now that like you know he's repented of some of these ways of thinking but but then at the same time i'm like i really want to be open and believe that like he really did change right and so anyhow that's it thank you
0: i can't say anything um
3: Okay. <laughs> oh, I had a thought. I
0: had a thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The repent, that's what, uh, when reading this, uh, it's almost like the people, the people think they've got the point of the story and they're like, all right, the point is do the right stuff or we're going to suffer the consequences. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It's like, I want you to see people as more important than other things. I want you to change what you see. I want you to like, see people as more valuable than doing the right things and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I just I love that. I love that. Sorry, did somebody raise a hand? I don't want to Um, ooh, I don't need to talk into this. Any other thoughts before I wrap up? Uh, we spent time with some friends in Houston and they were they were living overseas at the same time as us. Uh, and I hadn't talked to them for a long time. They had kind of a, I'm not going to share a lot of details, but they had kind of a traumatic re-entry. They were asked to leave by their team members and it wasn't quite what they felt was fair. Uh, and you know, knowing them and knowing some of what happened, I didn't think it was quite fair either. Um, And I sat, I had dinner with my friend and I said, how do you, how do you feel about them now? How do you feel about those people now, your team leaders? And she said, well, (laughs) they've never asked us to forgive them. They still don't think they did anything wrong. But I had to come to grips with the fact that if God would use me in my lowest point, then God would still use them at their lowest point. And that I could not carry unforgiveness about how I think I was wronged. How I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. Um, and that was so hard for me. That was so hard for me even to hear her say. Because I want to say, no, they should say that they're sorry. They should say they're sorry. God can probably not use them because they are jerks. Um, <laughs> her openness was really challenging to me. It was really challenging to me. And I think similar to what we talked about with forgiveness, it's like, it's hard to imagine being that open to caring more about people until you're in the situation. It's like my friend is in a situation where she has to somehow reconcile that, you know. And so what I hope is that if I'm ever in a situation like that, that God will give me the grace to also see the good. In someone that I really do not want to see the good in, uh, to see how God can use someone. Um, just the grace to realize that people are more important than what I think is right or wrong sometimes. Um, good discussion, you guys. Thanks so much for coming on this little gospel journey with me. Let me pray. God, we we are humbled because we know that our view of people is not as full of grace and full of love as your view of people. We are so thankful that um, you love us. We just pray that you would open our minds uh, just continually. To be able to see others as you see them, to see ourselves as you see us, as valuable, whether we are productive, whether we are wealthy, um, whether we are healthy. Pray that you would help us to repent.
2: In Jesus' name, amen.